0: The Homestuck Made This World, a show about critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. I'm Michael, and with me is my constant companion, Cameron.
1: Yep. Here I am. Mm.
0: Today? Here, here I am. Yep, that's you. That's Cameron. Here I am. Little Cam. Uh, No, no. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> Don't. Do not open the door to that. Okay. All right. <laughs> Uh, today, we begin episode eight of this 13-episode podcast about Homestuck uh, with episode eight, part one, uh, in which we're going to continue to talk about act six. Uh,
1: Cool. It just keeps cool, going. Cool, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. It keeps going. I, I feel like we're going to be talking about act six for like a while, huh? Yeah, seems like it. <laughs>
0: Uh, I uh, anything you want to get off your chest before we start, or should I just start summarizing? (laughs) Nah. All right, I got nothing. All right, we're in it. We're in it. Act six, Act three begins as Jane arrives on her planet, the land of Crips and Helium, a quiet and eerie place where giant balloons drizzle rain over the ruins of a long dead Salamander civilization. She sets out on her adventure, solving various puzzles and chatting with Big U, who complains about Little U making a mess of her room, which confuses Jane because Big U has said she and Little U have never actually met in person, a point that Big U dodges. Jake also tries to message Jane as he explores the frog ruins to send the bunny to Jade, feeling nervous about the volcano preparing to erupt, but she ignores him until he abruptly disconnects. After being informed by the autoresponder that it lost track of her dad when he left the house, Jane returns home and finds none other than Gamzee, now equipped with a Radia's old time-travel music box and a full god-tier outfit. He offers to be her helpful guide by pulling Tavros and Vriska's corpses out of a refrigerator and throwing them into Jane's kernel sprite. The result is Tavris sprite, a strange abomination that hates itself so much it immediately explodes. In the afterlife's dream desert, Riska and Tavros now find themselves side by side, separate, and do some catching up. In particular, Vrisk is tired of her irrelevancy, not to mention the weird orange guy following her around. She forces Tavros into joining her in the fight to become relevant again. On Earth, while unconscious from a minor cave-in, Jake dreams a memory of his own 13th birthday, when Dirk helped him complete the Brobot by teleporting the final part, the head. Jake is impressed by Dirk's techno-wizardry, but Dirk is moved to explain himself. He admits he lives in a future with more advanced and experimental technology, and that he and Roxy are in fact the final two living humans on the planet Earth. Jake is surprised and excited to hear more, and Dirk is more than willing to tell him. What happened was this... On November 11th, 2011, the Troll Empress, who had spent the previous 200 years working in the shadows to accumulate power on Earth, made her presence officially known to humanity. She had already become so powerful through Crocker Corp that people watched helplessly as she maneuvered Guy Fieri onto the United States Supreme Court, where his mass executions made him the third and final Antichrist. She also ensured the Insane Clown Posse were elected dual presidents of the United States, and they did a bunch of murder too. Throughout this, the Batter Witch was opposed by covert human resistance leaders. Such people had existed before, like Jake's grandma, who founded Skyanet and took the name English in order to taunt the Empress by reminding her of the only man she fears, a dreadful demon from outside the universe. But she was assassinated when Jake was little. After the Empress revealed herself to humanity, the Resistance was led by Roxy's mom and Dirk's bro. Their wildly successful media properties were counter-propaganda to the Empress's slow abasement of the human species, but did little to stop the flooding of the globe and the Condessa’s various heinous experiments to recreate trolls through human biological stock. Eventually, Roxy's mom and Dirk's bro faced down Guy Fieri and ICP, respectively, before together taking the fight directly to the Batter Witch. She killed them both, but they left in reserve well-stocked safe houses for their future descendants who would arrive by meteor. Thus, Roxy grew up surrounded by cats, carapations, and her mom's wizard fic, while Dirk grew up entirely alone save for puppets, swords, and sweet bro and Helijeff memorabilia. Jake is astonished by all this, and the Dirk he is talking to, who is not the real Dirk or even his dream self, steps into his dream to chat with him. Dream Dirk explains that because Jake's class and aspect are Page of Hope, he is capable of producing incredible things with his imagination. Even though Dream Dirk is based only on Jake's impressions of the real Dirk, he basically operates like another autonomous shard of Dirk's personality. Dream Dirk then goads Jake into hollering a bunch of embarrassing stuff about boners, just as Arania, who cannot see Dream Dirk, enters to collect Jake for a meeting with some others. Meanwhile, on the Alpha Kid's prospect, Jack Noir is imprisoned and tries to escape with and without the help of some contraband knives smuggled to him by the courtyard droll. He is unsuccessful. Over on Purpo, the draconian dignitary has assumed duties in Jack's absence, and runs the whole operation much more casually. His main problem now is Dirk, whose dream self is hiding out somewhere on Purpo. He has convinced the new queen, the troll empress, to part with her ring, which, because this is a void session with no prototypings, is a simple gold circlet with no orbs. The ring of void allows DD to turn invisible, which may be helpful, but he's much more interested in its other ability. To casually summon the Red Miles attack and wipe out a good portion of Purpo in order to kill Dirk. We also learn the Troll Empress has developed her troll psychic powers to the degree that she can control G-Cat, and probably has been this entire time, and that Spade Slick has finally emerged from the ocean and frightened Miss Paint as she mourns over Andrew Hussey's corpse. On Jane's planet, she and the autoresponder work through the game. Jane worries when AR reports that all her friends are in peril back on Earth. She contacts Big U for guidance, but Big U is distracted by a troubling vision she just had while dreaming of her session's Skya becoming wholly blacked out by storm clouds. She thinks this has something to do with little you, with whom she now says she has been playing another, different game their entire lives. A complicated series of power plays and one-upmanship governed by obscure rules she cannot talk about. To help Jane, she considers sending along a helpful item she calls her own Magic MacGuffin, but in order to operate it, Jane would also need Little U's counterpart Magic MacGuffin, which she cannot do without his help. Magic MacGuffins, Big U explains, are unique items in paradox space, also governed by special rules, and can never be truly duplicated, instead existing as singular entities beholden to circuitous timelines and causal paradoxes. At his home on Earth, Dirk fights Crocker Corp drones when Little U pops up with another demand to play a game. The autoresponder advises Little U to talk to past Dirk, which he does. Little U asks Dirk to draw him some pornography, and if he does not, Little U says he will murder his sister past Dirk has no problem with this and is ready to go, drawing all sorts of titillating smut for Little U. Pictures that involve Dirk and his friends chastely kissing, announcing their love and undying affection for one another, getting married, having children, and so on. Little U admits that this game has a shitty twist ending which he will not reveal for a full year, which is to say, back in the future when he first tried to talk to Dirk, where Little U now informs him that even though he underwent all these trials to save Big U, Little Yu has already murdered her Inspired by the kids game He bribed their Sessions Jack Noir To sneak into Big Yu's Prospect Dream Tower and assassinate Her dream self, causing their Skya To cloud over Back in the dream bubbles, Arania tries to stop The Meteor crew from fighting with Mina Who's kind of a jerk On pre-Scratch Alternia, she was the destined empress in a society where the nobility's task was to care for the lower bloodcasts, and resented the obligation to nanny her entire civilization. She then discovered the game, and convinced all her friends to play. When it became clear they could not win, the trolls initiated the scratch, and then, to save them from oblivion, Mina blew them all up so they could hang out in the dream bubbles. Basically everyone except Arania resents her for this. Now, Mina is captivated by the notion of her alternate self, the Troll Empress, who became a ruthless badass and currently rules Earth as Betty Crocker. Jake, thinking she basically is Betty Crocker, tries to beat up Mina, but Arania wakes him. In The Frog Ruins, Jake reads a message from Big U, who directs him to collect various weapons for inclusion with his bunny gift to his grandma. He does so, then, using some ancient game tech, sends little Terry Kaiser across universes and back in time, where they become Liv Tyler, hide in a box for around 2,000 pages, but eventually come out of the box, help Jack Noir usurp the Black Queen, get delivered to John by PM, and then follow Rose and Dave into the furthest ring to destroy the Green Sun, where they get exploded instead when the tumor detonates rest in peace little bunny rest in peace little bunny so uh what do you you think of the end of uh live tyler slash terry kaiser since we know we know your feelings about this robot bunny right uh i don't like
1: that um it has being you know that it's like alive (laughs) wait what that it like experienced all these things because it's mind didn't get wiped right i guess not no so it knows all of these things it knows that it lives in like a weird time loop hell space
0: i i i don't know i mean it died cameron well, I
1: eventually died, but in between all that before it died, it got looped around in weird ways, right?
0: I guess so, yeah, I mean we we don't get a lot of interiority for uh Terry lives, so I know,
1: and that's a huge mistake mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> well, I didn't like
1: learning that, Yeah, I guess is what
0: I'm saying, <laughs> um but uh beyond that, I guess it's fine, yeah. I just, uh, this, uh, you know, this, uh, amuses me, this reveal or not even a reveal, right? Like (laughs) whatever is being revealed here, this information, right? (laughs) Um, I mean, it, it amused me a lot this time, just knowing that you were so, uh, sort of displeased by when we get the reveal of the bunny after act four mm-hmm. <laughs> and knowing where the story eventually goes, where it's just like, and, uh, this whole thing that we built basically the entire first third of the plot around, not important anymore. It got exploded. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just, uh, get rid of that thing. <laughs> like who cares? Right.
1: Uh, yeah, well, that's how I felt about it since the beginning, is who cares. <laughs> so,
0: you know, shout out to that bunny. Yeah. Um, What's the fan response to this? Uh, they think it's very funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, in some ways, right, like the fan response is just like, yep, okay. Uh, you know, too bad, I guess, that the bunny died. It, but there's no sense, at least in the people who are talking about it, right? There's no sense of like, oh, man, I really wanted that bunny to do more. Like, that's not a thing that people <laughs> are saying. <laughs> um. It almost, I mean, the the, the thing about uh, Friglish and Jaspers from the previous partisode uh, felt similarly, I think. Uh, uh, closing the time loop with the bunny here feels like a formality. Right. Right. Um, it actually reminds me quite a bit. This is what I threatened in the previous partisode. It reminds me quite a bit of a little book, Cameron, called Earth of the New Sun. What about it? Well, uh, not to spoil too much of Earth of the New Sun, well, which would require me to also spoil a lot of Book of the New Sun. Right. Uh, Good luck. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about how you're going to even remotely make this a,
1: a comprehensive <laughs> or, or a reasonable sentence.
0: So, uh, we've talked about this series before, um, talked about very early on, uh, actually because I was, uh, reminded of it initially by, uh, the trolls and how they talk with the characters, uh, atemporally, mm-hmm. um, But Book of the New Sun uh, is a series of novels by Gene Wolfe, and uh, the it's a series like four novels, right? It's a tetralogy uh, that is about a character who goes on an extremely long and winding and bizarre kind of adventure through a far future science fantasy, uh, like sort of magical feudal high technology several times uh, post-apocalyptic Earth, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And a bunch of weird things happen. uh, And the series ends with a whole bunch of outstanding questions. And uh, uh, fan reaction was, like, very good, right? People really liked it, but there were lots of people who really wanted some answers to these outstanding questions. Uh, And so a few years after... Uh, that tetralogy happens, Gene Wolf is convinced by his, either his agent or his publisher, I don't remember which one, uh, to write a coda to the series called Earth of the New Sun that follows the same character after he's like left the narrative of the original story, right? He's gone off on kind of this other adventure and that's kind of where we leave him. Um, and you get the sense that, you know, Gene Wolf was perfectly happy to leave it at that, except now he has to go back And take this character who's on this new adventure and figure out what to do with him. And what this ends up meaning is that the protagonist uh, travels back in time and uh, sets up all of the events that were mysteries in the first four books right? He completes a bunch of time loops. And in doing this, he feels that his entire existence is governed by, uh, a mystical new star that is hovering above him in the sky. So like here, I, I do not know if Hussey like read book of the new sun. Uh, I have some suspicions that maybe they did, or at least like tried to, but, uh, in general, right, like I, I read this historically and I'm like, oh, wow, like getting getting some weird like hits on this where uh, it's just like, oh, yeah, formally. Right. The other thing about Earth of the New Sun that you need to know is that it sucks. Um, like if you read Book of the New Sun, I do not recommend reading Earth of the New Sun. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm not a big fan
0: of it. Yeah, personally. It, I it, don't,
1: I, you know, I've, I've come back around and I've thought maybe ah, maybe
0: it's good. Well, it, it, that's that's the next podcast, right? Um, we'll have that oh, discussion okay. there. Uh, exactly. Not this show, to be clear, right? Uh, that that's a different podcast. Next
1: podcast, next episode, <laughs> hard swing into full uh, birth of the new, or you know, uh, uh, new sun, yeah, botness kind of stuff. You no, know. I think you know, in a general sense, I think what we do is uh, behind the curtain a little bit here. I think we throw a little poll up, uh huh, on Patreon. Let mm-hmm. say, where are you into?
0: The people in the page. Patreon. Just people.
1: Yeah. In the world.
0: <laughs> anyway. Sorry. Yeah. I'm taking this beyond. <laughs> oh, I didn't know if you wanted to like finish that little tease there. Okay.
1: That's it. I think that's okay. the tease.
0: Okay. Uh, anyhow. Right. The other thing about Book or Earth of the New Sun is that not only is it not particularly good, although it may be good. We'll find out. Uh, or maybe we won't. Who knows? The future of many things can happen. Anyway. Right. Um. The, the thing about Earth of the New Sun about reading it is that reading it feels really weird, at least to me, because so you can, you can like sort of, uh, uh, I think sense Gene Wolfe's like resentment for some things behind the surface and like, okay, I guess I've got to go to this area and set up this fucking time loop and do this and do this. Uh, and I don't feel quite the same, like, resentment, uh, here in Act 6, uh, of Homestuck, or at least, you know, if there's resentment, it's not being aimed at this precisely, but it does feel a little bit like, I am so tired of the time loops, like, here we go, right, this is how that happened, like, here's how the bunny, uh, became the bunny, and also, I don't care about the bunny anymore, I want to tell a different story, uh, the bunny is also dead, right, in uh, and, and, and book of the new or Earth of the new Sun has kind of this similar vibe going of like a story or like uh, parts of a story that aren't being told because the person telling them particularly wants to, but because they're like having to meet a formal requirement uh, based on things that they've written previously. right. Uh, I don't know if that's just me, though. I don't know if you, you felt sort of similarly about the anticlimax climax of, of the bunny reveal or not. Not even
1: revealing. Uh, Jesus. I, I don't feel a way about it whatsoever. I, I mean, I do, the in a very serious way, right? The bunny is totally perfunctory, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it could have been anything in there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's just a bunny because that's a funny gag, right? right? That, like, time loop bunny exists and is, like, real. And I guess the thing that I'm happy about is that... I don't have to see it anymore. (laughs) So I guess that's okay. But like, it's such like a, who gives a shit to me? You know what I mean? Like in a broad sense that I just like, I'm glad that it's over.
0: well, uh, switching topics then a little bit. Uh, did you do the, the beginning games here?
1: I did. I played them for a little bit until I realized like, Oh, like there's just some stuff in it. (laughs) Um, and so I, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, this is just like, uh, there's like some conversations in here. So I like played through it a little bit to get to the conversations and then, uh, just kind of waited or, you know, looked at the walkthrough afterward.
0: Right. Cause there's like a little walkthrough included in the, uh, uh, what do you call this? The homestuck reader thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, not even just in the reader. I think it might be on the website as well. Um, because oh, okay. yeah, this was, this was, this is kind of a notable thing and it wasn't flagged in my summary. So I'll say it here. Uh, Act six, act three, uh, this bit where Jane goes to her land and does some stuff, uh, is a new type of interactive game, uh, for the comic. It's sort of the descendant of the walkarounds, except instead of being a little, uh, like SNES character walking around a room talking to people, it is, uh, explicitly modeled on Mist. Uh, and so these two updates get called Mist Stuck by the fans. Uh, so it's like first person m- much of the time. Uh, like you see a landscape, it's like a static image, uh, but there are places where you can click and it changes the scene where you are. And there are like little puzzles that you solve that uh, involve like picking things up in, in one area and moving them to another. And uh, it- it's not as complicated as Mist could be. It's, it's rather simple, uh, but it's kind of about like, the vibes, I think, of the new land, which because uh, this is a void session and there are no prototypings, uh, you know, it's not a, a land filled with like happy little salamanders like John's was here. All of the sa- salamanders show up dead, like their civilization perished before the planet even existed, uh, because this is a void session that was never going to go anywhere. And so, right. It's sort of in like the the music is like uh, by Clark Powell. <clears throat> who's uh who does a bunch of music for Homestuck. Uh uh does a lot of ambient pieces and so it's like very eerie, rainy, uh kind of desolate uh and I don't know, it's just it's kind of a kind of a vibe shift, right, for uh not not the whole comic but kind of like what the Lands have been up to this point because the Lands have been so over the top or kind of uh, populated and kind of wacky, and here they're just like—I mean, there there are bones everywhere of all these dead lizards, right? Uh, they are
1: uh, they uh, like the the land itself is very cool. I think mm-hmm. um, I like it's just not cri- like Crips and helium or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like it—that's not a common um, I don't know. They, some of the other ones are a little bit like okay, whatever, yeah, to me. And I thought that I thought that this one was like actually interesting to do. But yeah, you like beep all around and you like pick up some skulls or whatever. I don't think it's a particularly interesting like adventure game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Hussey is more talented at making an RPG or like you know playing with the aesthetics of an RPG mm-hmm. than playing with the aesthetics of the adventure game.
0: Yeah, um, I, I think. I think I agree uh, in that it feels like more interesting stuff comes out of the JRPG, but the the choice to bring back Mist here was really interesting, or, or like striking to me historically, if only because, as I mentioned, like once we get to Act 6, it's so clear to me that we're re-rolling for kind of this younger audience. So naturally, this is the point where we're going to go full-on 90s kid nostalgia and remake Mist which everyone seems to be kind of cool with, but it was certainly a
1: choice. (laughs) That is, Well, that's also the thing, too, is it's not really like Myst. I mean, it's it's a point-and-click adventure game, right? But Mm -hmm. it's not, like, there's no things you have to figure out. Right. Um, You know, it's a very limited kind of thing here, right? Like, there's nothing you had to look at this game and be like, what am I supposed to do? You literally Mm -hmm. just click on everything that's on the screen. There's no puzzle to solve. There's nothing like that. So it's a weird kind of, like... uh, I'm trying to think about like what in 2012 would kind of exist to kind of operate this way. It's kind of like limbo, I guess Mm -hmm. in that way of like, it's a very linear adventure game with some light Mm -hmm. puzzle elements. Right. Um, And so maybe that's, what's getting folded in here. I don't know. Um, It's also just like uh, it's, it kind of functions like problem sleuth does as well in the sense that problem sleuth is ultimately arbitrary, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, in Mist, there's a solution to a puzzle. Mm-hmm. In uh, Problem Sleuth, the solution follows from the novelty of the answer, mm-hmm. um, and so here it's just like, yeah, you just do all the stuff. Yeah, you know, you just max out the possibility space, right? Um, so it's an interesting thing playing
0: with like the aesthetics, I guess, of uh, adventure game. Yeah, we, we actually get the explicit repurposing of the skull puzzle from Problem Sleuth uh, where mm-hmm. Jane has to take like the lizard skulls and put them in like this, like lock. Right. Which is exactly the sort of puzzle that showed up in, in Problem Sleuth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, just in, in, it's an, it's an interesting little moment. People think it's, uh, people like it. And, uh, as I said, it, it suggests there's some kind of shift in terms of Hussey's priorities because the, uh, walkthrough is kind of added in, right? Like, uh, nothing plot critical really happens here, right? It is about like tone and mood and setting. Uh, but, uh, Hussy seems to have realized that like people can just kind of like click through the walkarounds, and that it might be helpful to have something in, in the text that lets you uh, maneuver yourself into like the points of interest. Let's say mm-hmm. um, the other thing that happens that I don't think we're going to talk or the other thing that this kind of reveals that I don't think we're going to talk much about if only because it is truly not plot critical, it's all like setting fluff uh, is uh, the, the clue given to us by, Jane's Land, Crips and Helium, uh, and then the little, like, textual records that the Salamanders leave behind, uh, that we get to read, uh, talk about how, oh, the four heroes of legend are no longer four heroes, now they're the four nobles. And they await, like, the coming of the gods. Uh, so downgrading from heroes to nobles, like, obviously, helium is a noble gas. Uh, we've got four noble gases. There are four kids. So, you know, there's there's all this sort of, like, uh, uh, the mythology of Spurb kind of being customized to this new session uh, around a, a new kind of uh, weird extra tex- extra textual pattern uh mm-hmm. that the fandom can then use to be like oh then you know well, like we know this one's helium what are the next three noble gases and so who what are the next three lands what are they going to look like and that sort of thing so more kind of uh, little you know oh, that's that's interesting you know scaffolding for speculation yeah of course uh and then it culminates in uh the the absolute uh, mind fuck for everyone of here's Gamzee he's god tier and he's time traveling yeah what's up with that that's a great question um, it is well I only ask the good ones uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> well it's Gamzee he's wearing a full god tier mm-hmm. outfit uh, he's the bard he's a god tier bard of rage it looks like his god tier outfit is ridiculous he's got like a silly hat uh, and a, a massive cod piece. This is all a, if you don't know what a cod piece is, by the way, uh, in, in old styles of clothing and armor, uh, if you were a person with a, a penis, you know, external genitalia, you would wear a cod piece, uh, which basically looked like a massive jock strap. Um, yeah,
1: it's to deflect sword blows from your dong.
0: Yep. Uh, And so this is like a callback to uh, Bard Quest, which was the second MS Paint adventure that Hussey tried uh, to run and that uh, sputtered out. Um, But you were playing as a bard and you were like called to an audience before the king. Uh, And one of the things like this was uh, all, you know, it was entirely driven by reader commands. Uh, one of the reader commands was to like go f- buy yourself the fanciest codpiece you can afford, and so then the bard was running around with this giant codpiece. Now we have Gamzee, uh uh, wearing this god tier outfit, has a Radius time machine, so we know that he can't like. That at some point in the future, we know that the other session or the the people from the other session are going to meet up with this one. And so now Gamzee has traveled back in time from that point, presumably, and he is, uh, doing two things. One, uh, selling Jane bottles of troll blood, which he calls potions, um... And this seems to me very much like it. And you could just like go through and just like buy all of these things of troll blood. Uh, This this seems very much to me like a response to what I mentioned last part of of people being like, oh, my God, Gamzee's like Uh. putting troll blood in the coffee. Right. Got it. Yeah. Um, And uh, then the other thing he does is produce these corpses of Riska and Tavros and create Tavris Sprite. Did you have any thoughts about this?
1: I don't, I I was very confused by this. Not like conceptually, I understood what was occurring, uh-huh. <laughs> but like, why do this? Like, I, there's something really interesting that, that goes on with Gamzee about like all these body parts and all this shit, mm-hmm. which is like partially just ICP stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, th- this is the joke or like the content of ICP is that like, you know, all taboos are abolished. Within the Insane Clown Posse universe. Right. It, and so, like, the, the jokes are, or the songs are full of, like, this kind of thing. Right. right. And so, like, I get the thing, but, like, it really just doesn't fit with any of the rest of the comic. And the, every time it shows up, it's bewildering <laughs> of, like, his cavalier attitude with the corpses of his friends.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, we, uh, have about 3000 pages left in which we can continue to ponder this in light of any new oh, information right. that may be presented to us. Uh, what I can tell you historically is everyone is in the exact same boat you are, which is just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Why is this happening? Why is Gamzee doing this? Uh, there are people who are extremely weirded out by, uh, Tavris Sprite, like, like, uh. Oh,
1: it's bad. Yeah. yeah. Like. That's not good, like I don't like thinking about it. That's like especially because we know like how uh Jade experienced that uh-huh it's it is disturbing for sure,
0: yeah, so uh uh, like that happens uh we're left with this for like a day, I think, or like you know several hours at least before uh the next page where it immediately explodes itself um. But there is like a uh, uh, time, right, for for readership to react, and uh, no one is happy about this. Like no no one sees this development and is like, well, this is good, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Uh, <laughs> at most, people are like, that's weird, and sort of at worst, there are people who are like, this is horrifying. Like, uh, uh there there's apparently, and uh, there I. I'm not going to read any of these, but uh, people are like reading the official in the something awful thread. People are reading the official forums and reporting back reactions. Uh, And apparently like Vriska fans, Uh, are losing their minds because they see this, like, uh, it's actually kind of like this classic homestuck problem, but also like the classic, uh, uh, serial content on the internet problem where like this happens and everyone's reaction or not everyone's, but like a a significant portion of the audience, their reaction is, well, this is now the permanent state of things, right? Uh, I'm a huge Vriska fan, and now my favorite character, Vriska, has been uh, adulterated and diluted by being mixed with... Uh, Tavros who I don't like and that's going to be, that's that's the plot going forward is that this is going to be the way things are and I'm going to have to deal with it and this makes me so angry and it's so unfair to Vriska I can't believe you would do this, Andrew and then, you know, the, the character then immediately uh self-destructs. And of course we have this from the opposite side, people who are um, Tavros fans who are like, hey, it's like incredibly messed up to have uh, like ontologically melded this guy with like the abuser who uh, uh, maimed and murdered him? Yeah, that was more my vibe.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. where I was like, this just seems uh, like bad and rude yeah. to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess I did not consider the. Uh, I can't believe you've diluted my beautiful <laughs>
0: character. Uh, I guess I didn't really consider that. Yeah, uh, but but it happens, and it is truly weird and inexplicable. But it does result in Vriska and Tavros. Being together in the afterlife and uh, Vriska being like, well, I'm tired of being irrelevant. Uh, Tavros, you're going to help me stop being irrelevant.
1: Yeah, I, but the, the kind of meta move there of like irrelevant, you know, making big air quotes is like, all right, buddy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or whatever. Yeah. I love when a character thinks about their own position in the text. <laughs> I love it. It's
0: great. It's my favorite part of <laughs> fiction. <laughs> uh so so that happens uh i mean the the other thing worth talking about here probably is uh the stupid as shit betty crocker apocalypse
1: yeah i hate every part of this this <laughs> is this might be the low point of
0: the entire thing for me
1: <laughs> of the entire comic
0: <laughs> we've got 3000 pages left oh no but no, uh, continue. Tell us a little bit about how this is the low I point. mean,
1: just like all this like goofy shit about like the insane clown posse getting elected co president, and like Guy Fieri being. You know, it's just like what the fuck is going on? And look, I am in for like extremely nonsense stuff. I'm writing a book about the Assassin's Creed games. Antonin Scalia is canonically a templar. <laughs> like I'm okay with goofy shit. Uh-huh. Like in the real you know, real worldy goofy shit. Right.
0: We're we're not complaining about the uh, uh the secret history.
1: No. No. <laughs> right. And, and, I'm, and I'm you know, and it's like You know, just this idea that, like, this, like, fantastical storytelling thing intersects with the real world, and then you have these, like, really specific things. That's not it. It's just, like, the stacks on stacks of, I don't know, it just makes the whole thing feel silly. Mm -hmm. And that's a weird thing to say about Homestuck, right? But, like, there are parts of this that are working so hard to make this, like, a story that makes you care about it. And there's nothing that is more distance making for me than being like hey did you know that the troll empress was betty crocker the whole time and she and like we're fucking rolling dice on a random chart to like talk about whatever goofy internet character of the week is like vilified enough to like make it into the thing because this right. is like the peak of guy Fieri goofery uh-huh um and actually maybe a little bit before guy Fieri goofery um yeah but, you know, I don't know. It just feels like, all right, I guess we're like, I guess I should just turn off my like the part of me that cares about this for a little while <laughs> since nothing of import will happen from it. Yeah. And then I'll figure out when to turn that back on when like a character has a long form melodramatic monologue about like what they really intended to do and what they failed to do. Uh huh. Right. Uh. You know, when Terezi emotions come up in like 200 pages. Then I got to turn on the part of my brain that cares about this again. It's just it's the oscillation Uh that I'm just like, God damn.
0: Yeah, this is where I really start. I mean, I this is a thing that I've talked about forever, right? Like, that this is the thing that sort of brought me in is that Homestuck is always going to try to do these, like, two discontinuous moves of being, like, a serious sort of, uh, a serious, maybe in scare quotes sometimes, but, like, a story, right? A narrative with stakes yeah, and characters yeah. and so on.
1: With stakes and reality, a reality effect to it, right? Uh-huh. The characters, like, persist through time and seemingly matter to one another. And... Uh, but, you know, not to interrupt. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> well, like, yeah. So it, would o- it was always going to be that. And it's also always going to be the thing that breaks. So John can sing. Uh, How do I live to a bunch of right. babies? Right. As an extended con air gag. Uh, and this uh, really feels like it felt to me historically like a-, a feeling of that, like exhausting itself or like lapping itself. Uh where it almost... It, it just, like, has this feeling of, like, how fucking absurd can I make this? Can I make this absurd enough that people will genuinely, in mass, stop caring? <laughs> um, not to, like, you know, uh, assign that motivation to Hussie, but, like, this, as you say, is, is so wacky, even for what has come before, and you uh, uh, keyed into kind of this Guy Fieri bit, where, yeah, like, uh, this is about the time... Where I start noticing on Twitter, uh, uh, like people in Hussy social circle and kind of the Western Massachusetts uh, webcomic circle making jokes about Guy Fieri. Uh, like, cause people are like, you know, watching, uh, diners, drive-ins and dives while they're working in their sketchbooks or whatever. And so you can kind of see from the social circle, this stuff like, uh, then move out into like broader, like, you know, people see these tweets. And so that spurs like some Twitter jokes about Guy Fieri, like he becomes a little bit of a meme. And then that thing shows up in this comic where he is, you know, the third and final Antichrist. Uh, and, uh, in the thread, this results in a lot of conversations about how, like, you know, Guy Fieri is really homophobic. Here's all the write-ups about how Guy Fieri has been homophobic on set or whatever. But, um, and so, like, I guess, like, it's okay that he's the Antichrist, uh, but really, like, no one, no one in the thread has the response that you and I have, which is, like, this is just so stupid. okay. Like, people people really, like, try to engage with this stuff in good faith, um, and, like, it's, it's you know, the plot background, it's the story itself. You have to deal with it if you're going to continue to work with Homestuck, um, but let us not understate and undersell just, like, how wildly goofy all this is and how it does really kind of undermine, uh, as you put it, right, the, the sense of being able to give a shit about this world.
1: Yeah, it was just like, all right. Well, uh, we have now like easily moved into like a stakeless, goofy backstory in which, and like th- this maybe is the thing, is like this has entered in a element which is fuck. I could read another thousand pages of this thing and then have to care about Guy Fieri for a long time, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like and like have to live through the, this joke. For like maybe thousands of pages. I don't know. Right. And that would be, that's going to be, I mean, going to be, might be. <laughs> Truly, it could be o- either. It would be awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know. It's just, uh, I, uh, yeah, I don't, I just didn't like it. I mean, that's, at the end of the day, like I could say like a thousand different things about why I don't like it. Mm-hmm. But on a deep affective level of like a thing that I am reading and generally enjoying, uh, knowing that this is like, so easily tankable. Yeah. <laughs> with with like a, a, you know in the parlance of the day, random monkey
0: cheese. Uh-huh.
1: It, it, fucking epic bacon storytelling, right? Like that is not cool to me.
0: Yeah. So what do people really do with this? Two things. One, uh, they try to make it serious, right? They try to take it seriously for the plot moving forward, by which I mean uh, people, based on the fact that the Empress started doing all of these uh, genetic experiments trying to, like, basically turn humans into trolls, mm-hmm. um, people start developing theories about uh, big you and little U. Because they're these like, you know, the 13th troll, there's got to be something else there. And they're like, they're weird. There's there's a there's a bunch of stuff, actually, that's uh, been said about uh, those characters that I haven't brought up on the show, um, because we'll talk about it eventually. Uh, What I can say is like, there are things about this this character that we haven't learned yet that are actually being called, uh, but also from like the completely wrong direction. I don't think you've picked up on any of the clues necessarily. um, Or if you have, you haven't uh, mentioned them. Uh, but yeah, there, there's like there's a lot of speculation happening right now over like what exactly is the the big you little you situation? Like, who are these characters? What's up with them? What is their kind of overall purpose and goal? Um, and one of the theories is that they are like uh, the results of uh, like Betty Crocker's experiments. Uh, there's one person who comes up with this fairly elaborate theory that they are specifically Karkat. Uh, working with Betty Crocker's technology in order to like work through some sort of anxiety about his blood type because one of the things we learn about uh, the U's is that uh, Big U is a lime blood as she says and Little U uh, has red blood so they she uh, she has the blood color that Karkat would have if he weren't a mutant and uh, Little U has you know the blood color presumably that Karkat does have that is like normal red or something so all of this stuff is being speculated upon, right? How, how could all of this uh, still be meaningful in kind of a plot sense? Um, the other direction that people take that is using it as basically uh, uh, ways of explaining what's going on with Dirk and Roxy, uh, which I think is kind of interesting. Uh, the, 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 the problem is like the absurdity of the whole background really does sort of outweigh what is interesting, which is like Dirk and Roxy are kids who have raised themselves in the post apocalypse, uh, entirely with the help of game constructs in popular culture. Mm-hmm. And like Homestuck is clearly trying to say something like it, it's not saying it right now, right? We, we have to continue forward with this journey to continue to, uh, work through this question. Um, but it's a repeated thing in this comic and it has become more and more, uh, let's say, negative, right? We start out with John, you know, a normal 1980s film kid with all of his interests on the posters in his room, and then we get kind of like the the iteration of that with the other kids. Uh, We get kind of the opposite world version of that with the trolls. And now we have uh, uh, Dirk and Roxy, who have had no other choice but to be, like, raised by the room around them uh, in all of the pop culture detritus that surrounds them, right? As if they're, you know, homestuck or something.
1: Wow. Ooh. It's like they're stuck at home. <laughs> I can't believe it.
0: But yeah, it, it uh it it makes you feel sad for Dirk and Roxy, right? Uh yeah. like why 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 are Dirk and Roxy kind of like weird sometimes? Well, it's because they grew up in extremely messed up environments, right? Right. Uh so there's that. Uh g- grew up in messed up environments but also like in the shadows of these uh wildly successful like failed hero figures. Right, they're they're constantly measuring them, Mm -hmm. in the the same way that uh, uh, Rose and Dave, right, were constantly kind of like evaluating themselves with reference to Mom and Bro, respectively. Um, uh, We get that kind of inverted here, where in in uh, this dynamic they. uh, Adult Rose and Dave were literal freedom fighters who were felled by a, a an alien fascist government. And also uh, their their pop culture franchises were counter propaganda. Hmm. OK.
1: <laughs> yes, I, I there is something very funny to me. It's like they they created they created all this media which we all know is where the underground people fight first right like there's that thing that happens I, I was like all right all right let's let's not overstate uh what uh making um ben stiller comedies does here right
0: <laughs> like now, don't you understand like uh, writing harry potter is basically the same thing as uh uh i don't know trying to fight hitler
1: Yeah, let's hold our horses Mm -hmm. a little bit.
0: We're back and it's time for another ad break. Woo! 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 Uh, Peeking behind the post-production curtain here. Recording two ad breaks in a row really leaves you with uh, a kind of... Just, just a real uh, dearth of things to say. So what could I possibly describe our, our outfit as now? Well, it's Range Touch. We're Range Touch. Uh, you're listening to Homestuck Made This World. Uh, it is one of the many shows that we put out. Some of the others are just King Things, where we read through the books of Stephen King in publication order. Uh, game Studies Study Buddies, where Cameron and I read through books of academic game studies and try to make them uh, uh, fun and accessible. Um, and Then also sort of more explicitly video game oriented. Too much future Cameron and I playing through the Fallout games and Mages and Murder Dads Cameron and Danny talking about uh, the Baldur's Gate lineage of games and beyond well no actually just the Baldur's Gate lineage really Uh, all of this stuff is produced, like, out there in the open for free. You could go listen to it right now. And if you only listen to this show, I strongly encourage you to start listening to some of the other stuff that we do, uh, mainly because... I don't. I don't. I demand it. Okay. Okay. Cameron demands it. Uh, The end result will be that uh, you will gain access to all of the weird cross-show bits that we do. I guess maybe you'll you'll gain a definitely a deeper appreciation of us and all of our work. Uh, But it'll also, I think, maybe uh, give you some cool ideas about the world and stuff that happens in it. Um, If you want to support us, you know, apart from like listening to us and telling your friends about us, which uh, uh, I, again, uh, strongly encourage you to do. I don't know if Cameron would demand it, but I would encourage it. Uh, you can also support us financially, uh, at Patreon, patreon.com slash range touch, uh, that, you know, makes sure like the money that we get there, uh, lets us, uh, sort of invest in kind of like research materials, uh, buying books to read, uh, uh, digging like, and also just generally setting aside time to read all the forum posts that I end up reading and, uh, to collate all of my thoughts, all my, my prep work for this show, uh, you know, I've said it multiple times, is extensive. <laughs> I read so many posts for you. Uh, and if you want to be a part of the movement of making Michael read posts, uh, then you can support us at uh, patreon.com range touch. Just a couple of dollars a month, uh, would help us out. Uh, but depending on your abilities and interests, you can give us more money and get access to all sorts of bonus content, just King Things bonus episodes, uh, bonus episodes for homestuck made this world listening to this right now uh the newest bonus episode should have gone up and it will be cameron and i discussing the 2004 film saw uh and uh there's other things game study study buddies notes uh the monthly podcast that Cameron and Danny do together uh all sorts of cool things uh you can get through the patreon in addition to making sure that we continue to make free cool things for everyone um aside from talking us up to your friends and family though uh you should maybe also consider leaving us a five star review on your podcast platform of choice and in particular if you do this on apple podcasts leave a five star review that is also funny then Cameron may read it out loud on air. Cameron, you got one for us?
1: We got this one. I don't think I've read this before but it's from Kelsey White. It's got a little little clown face. Have I done this one yet? I don't think so. As someone who still has over four gigs of Gamzee icons on their hard drive from Tumblr RP days I'm so happy that Cameron also appreciates the best Homestuck character. I love my problematic nightmare clown. That is so many
0: (laughs) gigs of Gamzee. Icons.
1: It's a lot. That's why I
0: read it. That's a lot of. That's a lot of gigs of images. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much, Kelsey. Uh, <laughs> honk honk, and our condolences. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, if you leave us a five star review and make it funny, uh, then we may read it out loud on air. Thank you again so much for listening. Uh, now back to the show.
1: Honk the oh i i you know what so on twenty five there's there's a joke that's buried at the end of the thing I find really funny so this is after the really good uh jack <laughs> segment oh yes when he, when he's in prison so we'll, we'll talk about that in just yeah. a second but we we uh cut back to to jake here mm-hmm uh, suddenly you aren't the other guy anymore. You couldn't quite be the other guy anyway since he's dead, even though deadness hasn't really stopped us being guys before. Uh, here, Here's one other thing to say inside of this. The narrator voice in the reading, this specific reading for this part of hangs a lampshade on shit more than nearly anywhere else mm-hmm. in the comic. Mm-hmm. Like it is really, you know, the turbine's spinning up here on like, The narrator specifically saying stuff that is uh, playful with the audience. And I don't know what's going on. I mean, it kind of correlates to the death of hussy Uh in the comic, which is a little interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But okay. Nevertheless, the dead guy starts being Jake, who is not a dead guy. Well, his dream self is dead, but his non-dead non-dream self isn't, and that's the guy we're being, a guy who is asleep. That non-dead sleeping guy is presently talking to his non-sleeping dead ancient spider ghost, who long ago earned the achievement badge, Gift of Gab, and boy, does she know how to use it. <laughs> like, that's very funny to me. <laughs> As long ago, he used the achievement badge, Gift of Gab, and boy, does she know how to use it. Yes. That's good. Uh, that's Like, occasionally, you know, like, I've been complaining a lot here (laughs) in this episode, but goddamn. And there's a joke that's really good. And uh, I think this is a great joke. And I I actually think this Jack stuff beforehand is really, really funny, too.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So working that backwards. uh, Yeah. The thing that if you're not reading along, the thing you would not know about Irania that I did mention in my uh, summaries, but which you could not truly appreciate Without reading this comic is that she does not shut up (laughs) Uh, like uh, like clearly the joke here joke, right? This is this is like some this is such perfect homestuck hussy stuff. So what we know, what do we know about Mindfang, right? (laughs) Uh, She was a badass, uh, evil pirate uh, raised in a hell world. Okay. Doesn't apply to this character exactly. What are some other things we know about Mindfang? She wrote extremely long journal entries. How do we translate that uh, uh, into a new character? We make her a character who lore dumps constantly. Uh, and does so like uh with no boundaries or any sort of checks on her, and that is part of, if you will, the joke. Right? The joke is that she talks too much, and if you think that it is bad that she is talking too much, well, then you just don't get the joke. I'm sorry. Brutal. <laughs> uh. So there's that, uh, and as you say, it's uh uh. <laughs> after, right, that happens just after uh, Jack's Jailbreak Adventure, which is again, uh, going back to the full MS Paint Adventures enterprise. The first adventure was Jailbreak that Hussy tried to run as an actual forum adventure. Uh, and it was about a guy stuck in a jail cell. And then every time he tried to do something to escape, it went wrong. And so Jack uh, is stuck in prison on Prospect and we just get some some old school uh, MSPA fuckery. <laughs>
1: I mean, that's kind of what happens, and you know, it's a breath of fresh air here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest with you. I love that the key is just like a shittily drawn key on the ground. Yes. <laughs> it's It smears when he touches it.
0: Yes.
1: Uh, it's really good, and also that like Jack is unbound by the narrator, and so the narrator is like doing stuff, and but and then Jack just does whatever he wants to do, which is mostly just grab people and stab them,
0: right? And and then, so that he's like stabbing like the guards and stuff, and the narrator is like, Jack, Jack, stop that, Jack. <laughs>
1: The two things about the droll here, 4893, of of the droll's
0: badge. Yes. It says, you're welcome. And he's winking. Yes. Uh, What a little fucker. So the droll, like, teleports in a pumpkin that is uh, filled with contraband knives.
1: The one thing that Jack doesn't need. Yeah. Uh,
0: And uh, there's like a little uh, uh, embossed uh, thing with it with like the droll's winking face on it and just says, you're welcome. This is a thing from outside the comic. Andrew Hussey uh, had one of these custom made uh, of like Andrew Hussey's face and it just says, you're welcome. So uh, when the uh, the second no. Homestuck book, uh, which just got released, uh, historically at this point, uh, we, uh, it's being self published. These are not the Viz books, right? The the Viz books have uh, different stuff going on. So um, mm. the self published second book uh, just is just released and is being sold through Toppedo Co. Or maybe what Pumpkin. I don't remember who's handling that at this point. Anyway, um, obviously, uh, one of the things that you would do uh, is that you could like pay $5 extra and uh, the artist would sign it and maybe do a little doodle. So uh, Hussey is doing the same thing uh, with their book releases, uh, but demand is so high that signing every single book uh, seems arduous. So they get this little stamp embosser with their face. Uh, that says you're welcome, and uh, if you got that first run of uh, book two of Homestuck, you got the little embossed "You're welcome" uh, in in the front cover. Mm.
1: Well, yep. I like the little uh, embossed cover. I think it's good.
0: <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah. So I. I really. I really also appreciate the return to to jailbreak. Uh. Particularly like you know Jack like. Uh, accident, like accidentally, quote unquote, killing the one guard who's like down below him by just like throwing a Mm -hmm. knife at him to get his attention. (laughs) It just stabs him in the back. Yep. Uh, good stuff. Um... Yeah, so, uh, and it's good to point out, I guess, like the author's voice changing because it is really noticeable and it does seem to in some way correlate with the death of Hussey back in uh, Act Six, Intermission Two, uh, where it is worth noting, like Hussey's dialogue is always, like in these kind of self insert segments, uh, was always presented as like uh, the narratorial prompt. Right. Like during, during that scene where, uh, Hussy is like running from, uh, like Lord English, like you, you have the image above, uh, but rather than having a pester log where characters are talking to each other below, like just the descriptive text, right? The caption text that is normally the narrative text is like Hussey's like, uh uh like self-monologue or like self-description of uh what is going on in the scene. And so now that really becomes kind of uh its own sort of characterological voice, uh, that is constantly like and, and, and it's been doing it in little bits and in, in pieces, right? Especially when we get um like points where we can choose which character to read next, uh, which I've mentioned a couple of points before, like we get a choice of being either uh, of reading through Jake's thing first or Jane's. Uh, This has happened in Act 6 a couple times. Uh, Whenever those uh, little forks in the plot end, almost always uh, the, the page that ends them has some sort of offhand remark of like, after all of that free will you just experienced in terms of directing this story, you continue on with blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, 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 tendency of the narrative voice to really lampshade things, uh, uh, kicks up quite a bit, um, in some, some interesting way. Uh, what do you think of this second, uh, little you conversation? Uh, which one is that one? Uh, <laughs> the one where, uh, he demands Dirk draw him pornography. <laughs>
1: yeah i thought uh okay uh, oh sorry sir okay second second in terms of uh always yes where does that start um because i do want to talk about it Forty nine, sixty six, maybe yeah something where like where my that. notes taking me yeah yeah uh the uh what's so interesting to me about this is like it it feel or, okay well like number one it, it easily fits into the stuff we were talking about in the last part of Sode. Which is that, like, hey, guess what? Um, you use you, you a bad fan. Mm-hmm. And, like, making all these... So, like, that's, like, very one-dimensional, right? Uh, but the thing that's interesting to me is that, like, that that one-dimensional thing is used to, like, do this joke that is, like, extremely boring to me, at least. Which is, like, what if, what if I drew these things and they look shitty? Mm-hmm. Like, or what if these things were drawn from the character... Of Dirk, and they are bad, mm-hmm. and then the bad images are funny, mm-hmm. and that's the thing.
0: Uh, and like, I don't know if the humor here is necessarily like that. That Dirk draws bad images, right? Uh, I think for many people, people love this. Let's let me just say that yeah. now. Well, right? yeah,
1: I mean, I think the humor <laughs> is uh, Dirk. It's not that he's drawing bad images. It's it's that. Uh, Dirk is doing the thing, but doing a poor job of doing the
0: thing. Right. Well, in doing it at the behest of this character who think like uh, a little you is like, you know, uh, draw uh, you, you yourself, Dirk and Jane like uh, kissing and then Dirk draws it. Uh, And of course he draws it in kind of this like half-assed shitty way, Uh, but he also Mm -hmm. draws himself like uh, feeling Jane up. And then little you is like, hold on. What's that? Like move his fucking hand. Like I didn't tell you to show Mm -hmm. that. So uh, uh, little you gets this kind of repurposing of a thing that we saw in Equius, which is like uh, the person who is a loud and vociferous pervert, I guess, uh, also is, like, uh, uh, completely warped around to, like, in the same way that, like, Uh, Equius is like this violent fascist who uh, refuses to swear and so is constantly using like little minced Mm -hmm. oaths like fiddlesticks and stuff Uh, we have uh, little you as uh, uh, this hateful bad fan who talks about like how much blood and death he loves to see and all the murder that he's going to do and uh, at the end of the day the thing that titillates him the most is uh, like the most chaste uh, glances, uh, the most implicative glances between two characters rather than anything explicit or outright pornographic, right? Pornography to him is like characters, uh, uh, like getting married, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the fans think this is hilarious, right? I'll be honest, I think that this is pretty funny. I think that this is a good bit. I really like that this thing about Equius and I really like this thing about Little You, uh, especially when we get to the end. And it's just like the, the sort of fuck it moment because we go through so much of this. It is a very long bit. Uh, but the bit where is it? Uh, yeah. Uh, Roxy. Pro- he has a uh, Dirk draw Roxy proposing marriage to Jake. Uh, then he has them get married. Uh, then they have a little baby. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so this is how it goes. <clears throat> uh, little you says, fuck, that shit is so tender and dirk says you know it slow cooked to fucking perfection little you says i would like them to copulate off screen they will bear a child in the unseemly human manner but you will depict none of the off-putting details of the ritual show them experiencing human wedded joy with their offspring now dirk says yeah give me a minute okay and he posts the picture um this is on page uh, 4967 and it's like dirk and roxy in their wedding outfits and they have like a little baby between them and a uh, little you says, no, this isn't as good. It's not as titillating as I desire. Have the male eat the child. And so the final image in this little uh, uh, exchange is just like Dirk sho- or uh, uh, Jake shoving the baby into his mouth and Roxy saying, no, Jake, what are you doing to our baby? Yeah, which is amusing to me does nothing for me (laughs) like not even a little
1: bit do i like i found this like such a slog Mm -hmm. and then i kept like looking at the images being like there might be something here i have to look at (laughs) i I got bit in the ass with the walk the walk around before so i was like oh maybe i need to like do it and so i'm like clicking these things and getting burned every time so like maybe if i you know if i didn't have that feeling it would have been You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it could be the very way in which I'm engaging with this, you know, kind of hurt my capability to uh, truly enjoy what was going on here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's just it's like for me, it's like it's fun and it's silly. Uh, It's also interesting from kind of that meta reflexive way in that, uh, you know, Dirk is kind of this weird author insert character. And now we have the bad fan. Uh, talking to the author character, and what does the bad fan do? Uh, the bad fan just says, draw what I want. Here's what I want. No, that's not right. Change it. Uh, right. Do it a different way. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I said uh, way back at the beginning, uh, in some part in in the forever past, uh, this is bros like implied job in, in the original universe, right. That he's like doing some, yeah. uh, I think how I described it as kind of like the most nihilistic way of thinking about what Andrew Hussey does uh, of just like uh, making sketchy puppet pornography for a bunch of anonymous weirdos online. Mm-hmm. And so we have that uh little kind of like uh uh not, not really self-critique, right? This isn't Hussie critiquing themselves, but like a uh, uh, critique about the arrangement or about the situation kind of implicit in in this thing, right? It's not just that like, obviously, Little U is uh, a, a, a bad fan, um, but like, uh, you know, the the, the type of fan maybe uh, has a deep impact on what this experience is like, but the, the kind of like uh, arrangement is still there, right? Drawing things specifically to please other people online is still kind of there. And so I see some kind of interesting, mm-hmm. um, you know, a uh, uh, self-commentary happening for for Hussey on that uh, front.
1: Yeah, the, I mean, the whole thing feels like a meta-joke, which is like, or not even a meta-joke, just like meta-commentary, right? Like, if, if uh, little you is the bad fan, mm-hmm. then, like, this is the thing that the bad fan makes the creator do. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the creator w- should be off there making Street Bro and Hella <laughs> but Instead, he's got to make the little the little people kiss. Right. So mm-hmm. So you'll shut up about it.
0: <laughs> right. And the other thing that bad fans do is they plot the deaths of the other fans. Yeah. Right. That's, that's the kind of the final reveal of, of this conversation. Um, very briefly, we get uh, an interesting strategy, like moment of characterization for Dirk here. Cause this is Dirk in the past, uh, while he's talking with little you, uh, we see in like another window, a ship or like a pairing that uh, little you never asked for, which is Dirk and Jake. Uh, and he, and, uh, Dirk has drawn this anyway on his own and he is making like the little Dirk and Jake kiss. Um, so we get to see that like moment of of Dirk kind of pining for Jake, uh, which has uh, been so much in kind of the background foreground of the present day plot. But anyway, it all yeah. So I,
1: I, I so I do want to ask here. Sorry, really yeah. quickly. So like the the reveal that we get that little you has killed Biggie. U- yes, that's where I'm going. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I, sorry, I thought you were you you were
0: uh,
1: going on to a different thing. Nope.
0: Go ahead then. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, did you have a question about that? Yeah, I do. So, like, that's, like, that's true? I mean, we see, we don't see, we see, we see part of a corpse in a Mm prospect dream tower. Right. And that corpse is dead. That corpse has green blood. We know that Big U has green blood. That's what she's told us. Right. And we see a Jack Noir looking out uh, over a very cloudy sky. It appears to have happened. And, like, uh, uh, Big U herself, like, had a vision of this happening. Right. And thought it had something to do with her brother. Okay. So, yeah. And, and we've got this kind of like, you know, the, the, the move up, uh, uh, here between, uh, little you and big you where they themselves are playing a game. Obviously the, the mm-hmm. readership in the thread like picks up on this immediately. Like, Oh, this is like the good fans and the bad fans are playing a game, right? Like th- their right. intention with each other in some way. Yeah. Uh, Again, deeply fascinating to me from a historical perspective because I cannot think, like, I'm sure, these are things you could do in your story, um, but I cannot think of, like, what you could possibly put into this structure that ends up not being kind of a mess or, like, uh, uh, as I said in the previous partisode, right? It's so much of a kind of playing with fire thing of like turning around to your own fan base being like, look, here you are in the comic. Uh, and here's what you're doing, by the way, is you're kind of fighting each other.
1: Yeah. And you're killing the the fans that are nice.
0: Right. Like, and yeah, yeah. Like the, the evil <laughs> fans are working to kill the good fans. Yeah. um, Which is weird. And like this is a, this. I, I guess what's a little bit weird
1: here is like um from uh, you know when we were talking about uh doc scratch right Mm -hmm. the maneuver you have to do to like talk about doc scratch as the narrator figure and like the kind of uh, reading that you were doing of doc scratch that requires a little bit of reading Mm -hmm. right like that's not just like surface text um at some point it is when you know doc scratch like uh, shoves hussy out of the capability to control the text or whatever, and then like literally takes over the narration. Yeah, that becomes there. But you were doing that read before we even got there. What's kind of fascinating about this is this is all surface text. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no you, you know interpretation. If you take it this way, blah blah blah. There's none of that. That's just, this is just flatly what is occurring here. That these are two fan positions that that you know hyper clear here, and then the bad fans are killing the good fans. Mm-hmm. The end.
0: Right. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a hammer, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, uh, uh, the whole thing where like, uh, little you doesn't have time for any of the actual character beats or like lore or anything. He also says anything that he likes. He likes ironically. <laughs> um, he's only here to like, make fun of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the other thing that is interesting, uh, historically is, Seeing this as a critique of these attitudes, like, cause you know, like textually, like you can see this, like, like, uh, this is the bad fan. What does the bad fan do? Like he engages in things with hostile intentions and he's kind of deeply ironic about stuff. Uh, and it. Makes me wonder, at least, like, well, how is how is Hussey's vision changing or is it changing? Right. Because Hmm. being hostile and ironic is uh, kind of what has been Hussey's bread and butter uh, up to a certain point. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Uh, So is there a way in which like uh, doing Homestuck maybe brings you into contact with like aspects of yourself uh, reflected in other people that you don't like very much? Mm, right. Interesting. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, who knows? We've got 3000 more pages to to, to to think about it. Uh, but yeah, so like in terms of like plot developments, it seems pretty important that uh, Big U's dream self is dead uh, and uh, little U is extremely pleased about this. Um, is there anything else I wanted to say about them? I don't think so. Uh, so then we get, like, all of the, uh, or all of, um, some of the explanation of who these new trolls are, uh, from the other game, and mm-hmm. I don't know, they're, well, what do you, what do you think of Mina, I guess, because we get more of Mina now.
1: Oh, uh, she's, just, she's just kind of
0: rude. Mm-hmm. She likes stabbing people. <laughs> She does uh, uh, what the what people in the thread sort of immediately uh, say, because they, uh, you know, are are talking through this all as it's updating and they're trying to get a beat on Mina. Uh, once the revelation drops that she kind of caused all of the problems in their game session, they're like, oh, OK, she's the Vriska. <laughs> Hmm. Right, she's the one who uh like you know blew them all up when it se- when they realized they weren't going to be able to play or to finish the game, uh but she blew them all up for their own good and everyone resents her for it. So she's kind of the Vriska, right? She she uh uh was active and uh controversial uh among her friend group. Um I think it's also really interesting the way that Hussy has told us That troll, uh, racism is completely imaginary and, uh, was forced on them basically by Doc Scratch, right? Uh, that, that Mm -hmm. whole thing about, like, exploitation and oppressive caste systems, uh, was, uh, given to us as kind of the imposition of Scratch, uh, Doc Scratch and part of his plan for summoning Lord English and creating a hell world and all that stuff, uh, All of that aside, uh, it turns out uh, the Alternian cast system was incredibly real because it still existed uh, prior to the scratch, just in reverse order, where everyone had to be nice to each other. Uh, they still organize right, their society right. based along uh, blood <laughs> color and everything. Oh, uh,
1: that's very funny. I didn't think about that, but yeah, because because she kind of rejects it based on that, right? I mean, she doesn't want, because she doesn't want to be the caretaker of her species or whatever. Right,
0: and so then she becomes, like, when they flip the positions, she becomes the entra- the empress who's like, oh, hell yeah, like exploitation and dominion forever, baby. Right. Um. So, you know, like, the, the uh, the empress is her mind fang, right? <laughs> the one who got to be a badass. I'm constantly saying it, by the way. Uh, which part?
1: I'm constantly out here banging a drum and saying the empress is her mind fang. Mm-hmm. People are asking, you know, they're in <laughs> classrooms doing math and I come in and I write it. The empress is her mind fang. Uh-huh, exactly. That's the, most, that's the wildest thing a human being could say. That 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 collection of syllables together. It like pure glossolalia of nonsense. The Empress is her mind fang. (laughs) The arsonist had oddly shaped feet. (laughs) The human torch applied for a bank loan. (laughs) Yeah. God damn. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, (laughs) Anyway, but yeah. Yeah. So uh, we've got, yeah, uh, Arania and Mina um, and... uh, that's just kind of their story, right? Arania has obviously more that she wants to say, and it involves for whatever reason, bringing kind of these trolls and sort of the uh, main characters, quote unquote together. Uh, What is really interesting in the something awful thread is that everyone there wants to think through what is the relationship between Mina and Arania? Cause Uh that they're very close friends, clearly. Uh, 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 Arania basically says at one point that Mina is the only person in their, uh, little play group who doesn't, uh, or, or who can stand her or who will put up with her, uh, in all of her, her bloviating. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, then this like warps around in the something awful thread to people being like, well, wait a minute. Are they like together? <laughs> like, is this a ship? Are they like. Are is there something here? Uh, and then people in the thread being like, stop talking about shipping. We're not, this is this is not what we're going to do in this thread. There will be no shipping. This is no shipping discussion. We're not, this is not that space. Take it to Tumblr. And then the other people being like, we're talking about what's in the comic. We're just talking about the relationship between the characters as it's, as it's being presented to us. Is this really shipping? <laughs> is this really shipping? Yep.
1: Wow. Uh-huh. Wow. The, the, you know, uh, figuring out what's in or what's out, <laughs> it gets hard,
0: you know? Yeah. Uh, it's very funny to me. Uh, yeah. I, I like that. Especially, especially because right. Like this is happening while the comic itself is demonstrating these two fan characters, uh, one of whom like would disavow shipping entirely, but also only wants fan art of, uh, tender caresses and whatnot. Right. Oh, uh, wild stuff.
1: Hmm. F- what a fascinating world we live in.
0: <laughs> um, let's see. Anything else that really happened? What is our time on this? The narrator is also,
1: uh, uh, getting pretty sassy at the end here on fifty twenty two, uh, like the, the hammer of Zilly and whatnot that shows up in the Lotus flower. Oh yeah. Or not Lotus flower. No, I yeah. guess this is a Lotus ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets called a big silly pile of shit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> What's up with these lotus flowers? Have we ever gotten an explanation for like why they're lotus flowers?
0: Uh, I just missed that. I mean, why they're lotus flowers specifically? Yeah. I mean, I guess
1: as opposed to just a box or like a potato
0: chip bag or whatever. Uh, I guess frog pond aesthetics.
1: Oh, right, 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 right,
0: right. That makes sense. Yeah, little prongs of the lily pad.
1: Do you see, uh, 4865, that 2024 is the last free election?
0: Yeah, I thought that was, uh, uh... Makes you think. An interesting cold shot.
1: (laughs) You know, weirdly enough in this, I, uh... Uh, other than, like, noting the narrator stuff and being so annoyed at the storytelling parts, and then, of course, like, enjoying, uh, just the blow-by-blow of Jack trying to escape and only being able to stab people, Mm -hmm. uh... Not a lot happens in this. It's kind of astonishing. Mm-hmm. Like the pace of this thing. I guess what, what I mean by that is the pace of this thing plot wise. You know, during troll time, I was like, this thing's really slowed down. And lo and behold, I knew nothing <laughs> about what slows what down. Uh-huh. Because geez. <laughs> really?
0: And gosh. Yeah. Gosh, this thing's fucking slow. Uh, Yeah, like, just more, uh, uh, like, compared, like, w- the bulk of what we got this time was just, like, exposition from Dirk, right? The whole explanation of, like, how Earth civilization ended takes so long, and we get so much detail about it. And none of it seems to immediately matter in any way, uh, other than, like providing reams and reams of context for a plot twist that we just experienced right it's it's really uh, weird I guess like it's, it's a weird feeling uh, like the plot will like move and then it uh, folds outward to like d- fill in every single movement that it's just made right to try to fill in as much of the blank space as it can and then it ticks forward just a little bit once again mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, some other stuff then, uh, I guess that is kind of interesting. Uh, this is, this is a topic that we've been touching on more and more frequently. Um, and it's a, a thing that's come up in the thread multiple points, uh, but, uh, homestuck as cult. Um, the, uh, uh, like. The, the thing that has shifted now, so like at, at various points, right, uh, people have been like, wow, these fans are are really wild. Like it's almost like Hussie started a cult. Uh, and the thing that has sort of shifted now, the thing that comes up, uh, someone posts an article in uh, the thread that they were reading that is about um, an apocalypse cult that thought the world was going to end in uh, 2011. Um, and it, it didn't. Uh, and it's kind of like mm-hmm. a, a sort of post-mortem thing with, like, people who were a part of that cult and kind of uh, what it was like and uh, how they were – like, how did they get their information, right? How did they come to believe that the the world was going to end? And the thing that gets explained in that article was about how they would read scripture. They would read the Bible. Um and they would like develop sort of like allegorical or like metaphorical interpretations of it. Uh, this is, if you know anything about like uh, uh, religious cults and like apocalypse cults, this is not particularly novel information, um, but they would, you know, read uh, the Bible and develop these really weird theories about uh, like, Oh, you know, you see, if this is true, then this is true. And this is true. And this is true. And that means the world is going to end in 2011. Um and one of the people in there describes sort of like this process of reading, uh, which is not actually unique to cults. Uh, well, uh, what we think of as cults, um, but as someone who grew up around a lot of evangelicals, um, uh, it's a, a sort of technique or a practice called uh, comparing scripture with scripture. Um, have you heard of this? Do you know anything?
1: I haven't, just the, the terminology is yes. really funny to me. Right.
0: It's, it's, it is, uh, uh, well, you know, just compared scripture with scripture. Yes. Uh, uh, it's, it's sort of like, um, this, this is always one of those really interesting things for me about you and I specifically. Because in some ways, you and I came from kind of very similar contexts and in other ways, not very similar contexts. I get the sense that I was like uh, uh, swimming through the evangelical juice a lot more than you were. Um, so I, I was
1: swimming through the evangelical juice, but as someone who was not religious and didn't grow up in a religious context and who had parents who had had, I think, very... Um, difficult relationships with with religion my grandfather was heavily heavily involved in in evangelical religion in the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. and i think that really impacted my mother's relationship to all of that so i like yeah very similar context mm-hmm. for sure um but from a very young age being decidedly not that mm-hmm. right so like i i didn't go to bible school or, or maybe i did one time um but you know i didn't do all the things that within the context everyone else was doing right Mm -hmm. so i didn't go to like the local summer camp that was religiously oriented i didn't do you know basically any of this i didn't go to church Mm -hmm. right which is like the major social function at the thing and so like you know going to school or whatever even in a very small town in a small region going to school and not having any of those like pre-set um social encounters or and like you know, I, I imagine probably this is the same same thing in, in Indiana, but right in the South, we have like a million flavors of Protestantism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like truly a million and like no Catholics. I mean, <laughs> there are in, in the South, but not in the the rural South, right? Mm-hmm. Like just not really a thing. And so like there being these very fine dividing things of like scriptural interpretation that like everyone for a very long time is defining and probably – you know, some of the people I grew up with are still doing this. But, you know, everyone having like at school, these like deep debates about like whose r- weird interpretation of like particular phrases is the correct one, mm-hmm. right? Um, so like all these things are happening around me, but they're never a thing that I'm like participating in, right? Like it's just not I have no stake in mm-hmm. it, like whatsoever growing up, right? So I think that's where like a lot of that comes from is like I think you are still you grew up in the, not only in the context but in the in like the
0: discourse. Oh, I, right. I uh, I should clarify. Uh my family is not evangelical. Um <laughs> you're just like this seems great. Yeah, this seems I like love a thing. It. No, no, no. They were just in. all around me and my family is also very got it, got weird, it. right? <laughs> like uh uh my family uh was sort of like nominally christian but never went to church particularly regularly. I don't think and like historically had no, like in my family, no one really had historical, uh, uh, strong ties to religion. Uh, people were just kind of like doing their thing and it's like, yeah, sure. Like Christmas. Okay. Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the, the, the you know, the, 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 key thing about my family is, and particularly like the moms, my mom's side of my family where I, uh, uh, hung out much more and I was much closer with everyone uh these are all people who are like nominally Christian you know would pray to Jesus and everything um but we're also uh going to do any number of tarot readings and have all sorts of like tips and tricks for how to like divine the future and uh knowing which kids in the family are more susceptible to speaking to the spirit world and that sort of thing um, right. Very like a uh, folk magic, uh, uh, spiritualist kind of influence. Um, so this maybe explains something about me and why a uh, little young Michael is growing up in a very evangelical kind of environment and becomes fascinated by listening to all these kids who think that like what my family is doing is uh, devil worship, essentially. Um, and, uh, I go to, I never go to church regularly, but I go to church every once in a while, usually with friends as kind of like a social thing. Uh, And I go to a couple of uh, sessions of vacation Bible school. And so I pick up some of this stuff. Uh, And one of the things I pick up is this idea of comparing scripture with scripture, um, which is a thing that we got taught at, uh, one of the VBSs that I went to, I don't remember which one, um, about how, uh, how it works is that when you are reading the Bible and you stumble upon something, right? <laughs> something happens in the Bible and you have a question about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're like, oh, that's weird. Why Why did this happen? Uh, what you need to do is take whatever that thing is. Uh, so let's say that like, I don't know, I'm going to make something up entirely here. <clears throat> um, okay. But uh, let's, let's say Jesus says something uh, like, if you wear a... Uh, Uh, plaid house slippers you can't get into heaven.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to go even weirder. Like... Uh, if a vampire approaches. You.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, no. So here
1: between <laughs> the between the hours of 8 p.m. and 12
0: p.m. <laughs> uh okay, so, yeah. So G- so let's say you're reading the Bible and you're in the New Testament and Jesus says, uh if a vampire approaching plaid slippers <laughs> uh <laughs> between 8 p.m. and 12 p.m. uh no. You know, Jesus says something. Uh some some sure. sort of topic comes up and you have a question about it. How do you figure out what the Bible wants you to think? Right? What does Jesus want me to think about vampires or plaid slippers or, or whatever? Well, what you do, obviously, is you compare scripture with scripture. So you go back to the beginning of the Bible and you look for all the mentions you can find of plaid scripture or, or uh, plaid slippers or vampires right Great. and cool. and you try to build out a theory for like what Jesus wants you to believe about about these things by comparing scripture with scripture and you can do this of course because as we all know the bible is not a wildly discontinuous collection of fragmented texts written by different people in wildly different historical contexts in different languages that have all been assembled and translated uh you know dozens of times over no no, it is the divinely inspired word of God and everything that right. has happened has made sure that the copy of the Bible you hold in your hands is going to tell you the right thing because God is speaking to you through the Bible.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like pretty cool. Yeah, it's neat. Like conceptually, it's like a, it's a, a very cool unifying theory to be like, well, actually, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a loop. Right. <laughs> There's like a creation. loop, Right. It was all divinely. done. Right. Again, I'm writing about the Assassin's Creed games, <laughs> which weirdly enough begin from a very similar position.
0: Right. Uh, well, this is also right. This is Homestuck. Right, this is how how the fans read Homestuck, Uh, and this is why the person drops the the apocalypse cult thing here, because they're like, holy shit, like, this way of these people were reading the Bible is the way that people on Tumblr are reading this comic now. Where, uh, I mentioned in the previous partisode, uh, uh, Dog's Body, and I don't want to put Dog's Body too much on blast, but, like, just offering it as an example, Mm -hmm. um... Like this is not a critique of anyone, right?
1: Right. I mean, in a general sense, I I feel like this could be what we're saying right now. Could be taken as like uh, everyone who did this is a fool. That's not what we're saying. It's not what Michael is saying. mm -hmm. What's happening here is that uh, you know, Michael, I think you're demonstrating that there is a uh, uh, like a form of reading that is inherited Uh in, in like a cultural position, yes, right. In the United States, in a particular time, right, Mm -hmm. you know, evangelical reading strategies from the late 19th century up into our current day are very dominant. That's the way that we largely engage with most things. It's not because, uh, you know, uh, evangelical ideology sneaking in. It's not because of any sort of conspiracy. It's just the fact that that is a dominant cultural mode Mm -hmm. and it trickles out in weird
0: different ways. Right. And so uh, a Dog's Body becomes a really good example, I think, of this happening uh, because after after a Dog's Body called the future thing, obviously lots of attention gets put on Dog's Body. Uh, and I imagine for, for Dog's Body – I'm sorry I'm calling you Dog's Body, by the way, but that's your Templar name. Um, it's just a weird thing to be saying. It's like yeah, a, a human. It,
1: it's, this is the most I've ever heard the, the word Dog's Body yeah. in
0: my life. Anyway. Um, uh, I imagine there's like some pressure of like, oh God, like I did it right. <laughs> I, oh, fuck, <laughs> I I called a shot and it came out right, and now everyone's kind of looking to me to see if I can do it again. Um. Uh, but so dog's body is just like working overtime, like going through the whole archive, uh, like going back to literally like Act One, Act Three, uh, looking at the colors of lights that are in the backgrounds of scenes, uh, and being like this is going to link up with this and this, and it's all going to like culminate, right? Treating, like I just said, treating Homestuck as if it were a kind of like unified, inspired, right? Uh, uh meaning there and that the the religious sense. That's what they say when the, the, the Bible is inspired. This is how God uh makes sure you get the precise right words that you need because uh God's breath right inspires uh uh the the word in the reading um treating homestuck as a uh, whole uh inspired text um Which means that we start getting all of these like really big metaphysical claims. And this is to some extent, right? Uh, Homestuck is playing into it by, or not playing into it. I don't know how to, I don't precisely the right verb to use here, but like we're also at this point in the comic where uh, characters are reflecting on themselves existentially, right? As the outputs of of systems or whatever. Uh, Yeah. So suddenly, right, well, we are seeing like the, the rapid expansion of a kind of metaphysical mode of reading Homestuck, right? Uh, a mode of reading that treats it as um, a whole, continuous, uh, and everything about it uh, being dedicated to like producing the thing in front of you uh, by, by dint of providential history, right?
1: Let me give you a little uh, Jamesonian term for this. Mm-hmm. I think this will help us out. It's understanding it as a totality. Uh huh. Want to say more? Right. As a f- yeah, as a, well, as a full figuration, right? Mm-hmm. In the sense that it's like a like a little clockwork thing that can be totally explored and mapped out. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, J- and Jameson, like the whole thing is like uh, the po- the condition of postmodernity is in fact that we cannot access totality. Mm-hmm. Like there is no way that we can actually get our head around and represent the entirety of. All existence, right, and and particularly for him, you know, capitalism's operations. We just can't do it, right? right? But we do proliferate all these different systems of trying to do it. And one is, you know, a big one for him is allegory. Mm-hmm. You know, so we create these systems that that represent partially uh, this big totality, this big old thing, in order so that we can kind of grapple and get our hands in it, our hands around it, you know, get our mind around it, and we can prehend it in a particular kind of way. And like the be- the benefit or the hope there is that like. Some allegories give you good ways of doing that or politically useful ways of doing that or politically liberatory, hopefully, ways of doing it. And some of them don't, right? Some of them allegorize the totality in such a way that it generates more violent oppression, blah, 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 that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, like, there becomes this mechanism. I don't think he uses this term, um, but, uh, you know, to, to put on my leotard hat, right? You need, like, an ethics of judgment. Mm-hmm. It's not that one gets at things better than the other. You can't represent the totality. The, the thing that you get is uh, you have to make decisions about which ones you think produce better
0: worlds. Exactly.
1: Right mm-hmm. um, and so so here, yeah, right. You know, the treating homestuck as a totality that you can get your whole hands around right that everything is mapped and understandable exactly as you're saying ignores the fact that it is a bunch of disparate systems and people and and uh, figures and ideas all running into each other that has a bunch of contradictions in it right um, you know and that is not one thing it's a bunch of things because it's a distributed phenomenon through time it's not really a web comic right
0: i mean i'm laughing but it's just because like finally (laughs) finally here we are in episode eight and we have said something that i have wanted us to be able to say since the beginning of this show (laughs) people can't see it but michael's crying i am (laughs) i have waited so long to be able to finally like get this out there um precisely because yeah like uh uh in many ways, this show is trying to not do that type of reading, right? Not trying to apprehend Homestuck as a totality, and this is one of the reasons why I'm constantly, um, uh, like, uh, delimiting like the uh, parameters of my own reading or my own experience or like the information that I have access to. Uh, because uh, I wanted to do something that demonstrated Homestuck not as a totality, but as uh, an object, an artifact that existed in time and came to exist in very different configurations at different points for various reasons.
1: Yeah, um, and you know, not to yeah. not to hammer on it too hard, right? But I, I think you have a proclivity for this precisely because you are uh, someone with a PhD who focuses on Shakespeare. <laughs> which is an author who is treated like a totality, but is in fact a bunch of different shit all at one time that is in fact received radically differently in the what, you know, however many hundreds of years it's been since uh, Shakespeare lived and died. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I don't know if you would put it in those terms, but I, you know, for an audience perspective, right? Like in some ways, I think for you based on my perceptions of, of why you engage in homestuck is interesting to you because it it's like the modern day shakespeare phenomenon not in that they operate the same way that they do stuff but the the way that people interact with them are weirdly similar um, mm-hmm. you just got to live through one of them well i right, guess you right, you live like, through both but you only live through a part of one of them and you've lived through all of the other one
0: right there is absolutely like older modes of shakespearean criticism in particular uh thinking here of uh 19th century forms of of shakespeare criticism uh that treat the shakespearean corpus or what they would call the canon, mm-hmm. uh, which is an important word for homestuck that we'll talk about more in the future, as a kind of organic unity, right, that you can read against itself and then derive, like, transcendental life truths that Shakespeare apparently was born and died on this earth to teach us. Cool. Right. Uh, like Harold Bloom, uh, who I talked about on our uh, bonus episode for Prom Stuck, uh, mm-hmm. check out our bonus episodes at patreon.com slash range touch. Um, but Harold Bloom, his entire method of reading Shakespeare, and he was intentionally retrograde in this uh, in, in the 90s and 2000s, was to read uh, Shakespeare as uh, what he called secular scripture. Right. So – uh, yeah, like you, know, you, you are you are correct, right? Like I, I've got all my stuff, all my baggage in the background uh, that influences how I'm producing and constructing this reading, uh, but it's also just. So fascinating to me as someone who went to grad school, studied about and learned all these things to be learning all of this stuff about the construction of like Shakespeare as an idea. Right. Uh, uh, Digging deep into that. Um, And at the same time, I go home every afternoon and I read like the latest Homestuck update where I'm like, this same thing is happening. (laughs) Like I'm watched like I'm reading about it from 400 years ago and also watching it happen right now.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't have any baggage or weirdness about me. I'm just reading the comic. <laughs> yep, you're just here for the ride. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, the other th- I guess the thing for me, right, is that, you, you know, uh, if we're putting our cards on the table, I think it's really important for me, uh, you know, when I was, maybe before I wrote my dissertation, I, I read uh, a thing in one of Delanda's book, one of Manuel Delanda's books, and he says uh, something to the effect, it might be in philosophical chemistry, I can't remember, but he says something to the effect of, uh, you can create a model of anything that is true uh, Mm -hmm. and and it's about competing models that then matters, right? Like we can, we can model any phenomenon and we can model any phenomenon probably accurately in the sense that we can create a representation of a thing that exists. Um, But then you have to like make choices about which, which of those are useful or not, which of those are good, which is very similar. Jamesonian claim through a radically different trajectory. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what is interesting to me broadly about, about Homestuck here, And about doing, you know, I would not be interested in doing the show if it were just close reading Homestuck because Mm -hmm. that I don't think that's enough. You know, I don't think if if we're given models of how we treat the thing, that's an insufficient model to me. I don't think it says very much about the work um, other than we would get to laugh and have a good time and and talk about the goofiness of it. But there's something really interesting as as it exists is this kind of like. Um, petri dish of internet cultures right in a petri dish of public reading strategies right like mm-hmm. how do people understand the things that they enjoy and i'm not a fan studies person or anything like that and i'm pretty far away from it honestly on in the academic sense um, i don't really have a lot of crossover with any of those people but i do find it fascinating and i do find it interesting to kind of do the reportage part of that or be involved in the reportage part of like what actually happened here um, and mm-hmm. I think honestly, this is why partially I think my interest in this is in, in through that trajectory uh, is partially why people are so interested in you doing the book version of this is that like, you know, it, it says something about a very particular moment in time. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's why a lot of people are listening to the show. I think, you know, we get a lot of feedback that is of that flavor of like, mm-hmm. Hey, uh, you know, it's interesting when Michael pulls that kind of stuff out, but
0: yeah, a- anyway, cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, Glad, glad we had the the feelings jamboree here. <laughs> this is Michael Spiel. This is a new
1: segment, Michael
0: Spielings yeah. jamboree. Michael feelings jamboree. Yeah. Um, so I think I mean, unless there was any other little bits that you wanted to touch on, I think we kind of covered most of the main stuff here.
1: I think so too. I, like I said, this yeah. is kind of an uneventful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there are things that are going to have like big implications. Uh huh. Like uh like Gamzee. yeah, he's back and he's he's yeah. a bard.
0: Uh Uh-huh. But I don't know what that means yet. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, obviously, this is part of the problem of even just talking about Act 6, right, is that uh, because it is so much more clearly, like, setting stuff up, not in, like, uh, ooh, I'm going to, like, do a bunch of weird puzzle shit in the way that, like, Acts 1 through 5 tended to do. But, like, like, Act 6 is, like, yep, Gamzee's back oh uh, big used dream self is dead like these are probably going to Im- going to be important and we will learn why there- there's like less uh room for speculation on the the uh big level i think mm-hmm. uh if only because like i mean in the in in both cases for both Gamzee and the the uuses like there there is so much about like what is even happening there that we just don't know and cannot begin to even guess at right and of course like part of the reason that people are reading it historically is that they can guess at it that's part of the fun is guessing at it even though you don't have the full picture uh but doesn't leave us with with that much to do other than uh contextualize and bullshit <laughs> right well cool cool uh just join us next time then uh when we will continue episode eight uh by reading up to page five thousand two hundred and sixty two neat goodbye
1: A long-dead salamander civilization. A long-dead salamander civilization. A long-dead salamander civilization.